This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep Podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep Podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight, but before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Special K, Julie Lynn Keese and Brenda Bentley. Thank you all so much for donating and being a part 
of making the sleepy podcast. And for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, um, these names that I just read are brand new supporters of Sleepy on Patreon.com, which is a awesome site where you can go and directly support creators of the work that you like. So, if the Sleepy Podcast has helped you get a better night's rest, maybe it's become part of your nightly routine um, and helps you wake up more refreshed the next day, then consider going to Patreon.com slash Radio. And donating even a dollar a month. It goes a long way. At $5 a month, you get access to uh, all kinds of poetry readings that are not on the regular podcast feed. But no matter how much you donate, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So, again, if you'd like to be part of making this show, go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kana. Tonight, I'm going to be reading an old book by an author that we have not heard on the show yet. It is Five Little Peppers and How They Grow by Margaret Sidney. This is a cozy little story to read on a cold day here in Vermont. It just snowed and it's pretty windy. Um, It's just a very classic, uh, picturesque Vermont day outside. You can probably hear some of the wind throughout this story, which seems to be fitting. Anyways, we've never read Margaret Sidney on the show, and um, after reading it, it's a great bedtime story to fall asleep to. So, I hope it helps you doze off into a deep, deep slumber. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. A home view. The little old kitchen had quieted down from the bustle and confusion of midday, and now with its afternoon manners on presented a holiday aspect. That as the principal room in the brown house, it was eminently proper, it should have. It was just on the edge of the twilight and the little peppers, all except Ben, the oldest of the flock, were enjoying a breathing spell, as their mother called it which meant some quiet work suitable for the hour. All the breathing spell they could remember, however, poor things, for times were always hard with them nowadays, and since their father passed, when Franzi was a baby, Mrs. Pepper 
had had hard work to scrape together money enough to put bread into her children's mouths and to pay the rent of the little brown house. But she had met life too bravely to be beaten down now. So with a stout heart and a cheery face, she had worked away day after day at making coats and tailoring and mending of all descriptions, and she had seen with pride that couldn't be concealed, her noisy, happy brood growing up around her and filling her heart with comfort and making the little brown house fairly ring with jollity and fun. Poor things, she would say to herself. They haven't had any bringing up. They've just scrambled up. And then she would set her lips together tightly and fly at her work faster than ever. I must get schooling for them someday, but I don't see how. Once or twice she had thought, now the time is coming, but it never did. For winter shut in very cold, and it took so much more to feed and warm them that the money went faster than ever. And then, when the way seemed clear again, the store changed hands, so that for a long time she failed to get her usual supply of sacks and coats to make, and that made sad havoc in the quarters and half dollars laid up as her nest egg. But, well, it'll come sometime, she would say to herself, because it must. And so at it again she would fly, brisker than ever. To help mother was the great ambition of all children, older and younger. But in Polly's and Ben's souls, the desire grew so overwhelmingly great as to absorb all lesser thoughts. Many and vast were their secret plans, by which they were to astonish her at some future day, which would only confide, as they did everything else, to one another. For this brother and sister were everything to each other, and stood loyally together, through thick and thin, Polly was ten, and Ben one year older, and the younger three of the five little peppers, as they were always called, looked up to them with the intensest admiration and love. What they failed to do couldn't very well be done by anyone. Oh dear, exclaimed Polly, as she sat over in the corner by the window, helping her mother pull out basting threads from a coat she had just finished and giving an impatient twitch to the sleeve. I do wish we could ever have any light, just as much as we want. You don't need any light to see these threads, said Mrs. Pepper, winding up hers carefully as she spoke on an old spool. Take care, Polly. You broke that. Thread's dear now. I couldn't help it, said Polly, vexedly. It snapped. Everything's dear now, it seems to me. 
I wish we could have. Oh, ever and ever so many candles. As many as we wanted. I'd light them all. So there. And have it light here one night anyway. Yes, and go dark all the rest of the year. Like as anyway, observed Mrs. Pepper, stopping to untie a knot. Folks who do so never have any candles, she added sententiously. How many do you have, Polly? asked Joel, curiously, laying down his hammer and regarding her with the utmost anxiety. Oh, two hundred, said Polly decidedly. I'd have two hundred, all in a row. Two hundred candles, echoed Joel in amazement. My wackity, what a lot. Don't say such dreadful words, Joel, put in Polly nervously, stopping to pick up her spool of basting thread that was racing away all by itself. Tisn't nice. Tisn't worse than to wish you'd got things you haven't, retorted Joel. I don't believe you'd light them all at once, he added incredulously. Yes, I would too, replied Polly recklessly. Two hundred of them, if I had a chance, all at once. So there, Joey Pepper. Oh, said little Davy, drawing a long sigh. Why, it would be just like heaven, Polly. But wouldn't it cost money, though? I don't care, said Polly, giving a flounce in her chair, which snapped another thread. Oh, dear me. I didn't mean to, Mommy. Well, I wouldn't care how much money it cost. We'd have as much light as we wanted, for once. So... Mercy, said Mrs. Pepper, you'd have the house afire. Two hundred candles, whoever heard of such a thing. Would they burn, asked Phronsie anxiously, getting up from the floor where she was crouching with David, overseeing Joel nail on the cover of an old box, and going to Polly's side. She awaited her answer, patiently. Burn, said Polly. There, that's done now, Mumsy dear. And she put the coat with the last little pat into her mother's lap. I guess they would, Phronsie pat. And Polly caught up the little girl and spun round and round the old kitchen till they were both glad to stop. Then said Phronsie, as Polly put her down and stood breathless after her last glorious spin. I do so wish we might, Polly. Oh, just this very one minute. And Phronsie clasped her fat little hands in rapture at the thought. Well, said Polly, giving a look up at the old clock in the corner. Deary me, it's half past five, and most time for Ben to come home.
Away she flew to get supper. So over the next few moments, nothing was heard but the pulling out of the old table into the middle of the floor, the laying the cloth, and all the other bustle attendant upon the being ready for bed. Polly went skipping around, cutting the bread and bringing dishes, only stopping long enough to fling some scraps of reassuring nonsense to the two boys who were thoroughly dismayed at being obliged to remove their traps into a corner. Phronsie still stood just where Polly left her. Two hundred candles. Oh, what could it mean? She gazed up to the old beams overhead and around the dingy walls and to the old black stove with the fire nearly out and then over everything the kitchen contained, trying to think how it would seem. To have it bright and winsome and warm, the suit Polly. Oh, she screamed. Goodness, said Polly, taking her head out of the old cupboard in the corner. How you scared me, Phronsie. Would they ever go out? asked the child gravely, still standing where Polly left her. What? asked Polly, stopping with a dish of cold potatoes in her hand. What, Phronsie? Why the candles, said the child, the ever and ever so many pretty lights. Oh, my senses, cried Polly with a little laugh. Haven't you forgotten that? Yes, no, that is, Phronsie, if we could have him at all, we would never let him go out. Not once, asked Phronsie, coming up to Polly with a little skip and nearly upsetting her, potatoes and all. Not once, Polly, truly. No, not forever and ever, said Polly. Take care, Phronsie. There goes a potato. No, we keep them always. No, you don't want to, said Mrs. Pepper, coming out of the bedroom in time to catch the last words. They won't be good tomorrow. Better have them tonight, Polly. Ma'am, said Polly, setting down her potato dish on the table and staring at her mother with all her might. Have what, mother? Why, the potatoes, to be sure, replied Mrs. Pepper. Didn't you say you better keep them, child? T'wasn't potatoes at all, said Polly with a little gasp. T'was, dear me, here's Ben. For the door opened, and Phronsie, with a scream of delight, bounded into Ben's arms. It's just jolly, said Ben, coming in, his chubby face all aglow, and his big blue eyes shining so honest and true. It's just jolly to get home. Supper ready, Polly? 
Yes, said Polly. That is all but. And she dashed off for Phronsie's eating apron. Sometime, said Phronsie, with her mouth half full, when the meal was nearly over, we're going to be awful rich. We are, Ben, truly. No, said Ben, affecting the most hearty astonishment. You don't say so, Chick. Yes, said Phronsie, shaking her yellow head very wisely at him and diving down into her cup of very weak milk and water to see if Polly had put any sugar in by mistake, a proceeding always expectantly observed. Yes, we are really, Benzie, very dreadful rich. I wish we could be rich now, though, said Ben, taking another generous slice of the brown bread in time for Momsey's birthday. And he cast a sorrowful glance at Polly. I know, said Polly. Oh dear, if only we could celebrate it. I don't want any other celebration, said Mrs. Pepper, beaming on them so that a little flash of sunshine seemed to hop right down on the table than to look round on you all. I'm rich now, and that's a fact. Momsy don't mind her five brothers, cried Polly, jumping up and running to hug her mother, thereby producing a like desire in all the others, who immediately left their seats and followed her example. Mother is rich enough, ejaculated Mrs. Pepper, her bright black eyes glistening with delight as the noisy troop filed back to their bread and potatoes. If we can only keep together, dears, and grow up good so that the little brown house won't be ashamed of us, that's all I ask. Well, said Polly, in a burst of confidence to Ben, after the table had been pushed back against the wall, the dishes nicely washed, wiped, and set up neatly in the cupboard, and all traces of the meal cleared away. I don't care. Let's try and get a celebration, somehow, for Momsy. How are you going to do it? asked Ben, who was of a decidedly practical turn of mind and thus couldn't always follow Polly in her flights of imagination. I don't know, said Polly, but we must have some way. Fro, that's no good, said Ben disdainfully. Then seeing Polly's face, he added kindly, Let's think, though, and perhaps there'll be some way. Oh, I know, cried Polly, in delight. I know the very thing, Ben. Let's make her a cake. A big one, you know. And she'll see you bake it, said Ben. Or else she'll smell it. 
and that'd be just as bad. No, she won't either, replied Polly. Don't you know she's going to help Mrs. Henderson tomorrow? So there. So she is, said Ben. Good for you, Polly. You always think of everything. And then, said Polly, with a comfortable little feeling at her heart at Ben's praise. Why, we can have it all out of the way splendidly, you know, when she comes home. And besides, Grandma Baskin will tell me how. You know we've only got brown flour, Ben. I mean to go right over and ask her now. Oh no, you mustn't, cried Ben, catching hold of her arm as she was preparing to fly off. Mommy will find out. Better wait till tomorrow. And besides, Polly. And Ben stopped, unwilling to dampen his propitious beginning. The stove will act like everything tomorrow. I know it will. Then what do you do? It shan't, said Polly, running up to look it in the face. If it does, I'll shake it, the mean old thing. The idea of Polly shaking the lumbering old black affair sent Ben into such a peal of laughter that it brought all the other children running to the spot. And nothing would do, but they must, one and all, be told the reason. So Polly and Ben took them into confidence, which so elated them that half an hour later, when long past her bedtime, Phronsie declared, I'm not going to bed. I want to sit up like Polly. Don't tease her, whispered Polly to Ben, who thought she ought to go. So she sat straight up on her little stool, winking like everything to keep awake. At last, as Polly was in the midst of one of her liveliest sallies over a tumbled Phronsie, a sleepy little heap upon the floor. I want to go to bed, she said. Take me, Polly. I thought so, laughed Polly, and bundled her off into the bedroom. Making happiness for Mumsy. And so, the minute her mother had departed for the minister's house the next morning, and Ben had gone to his day's work, chopping wood for Deacon Blodgett, Polly assembled her force around the old stove and proceeded to business. She and the children had been up bedtimes that morning to get through the work, and now as they glanced around with a look of pride on the neatly swept floor, the dishes all done and everything in order, the moment their mother's back was turned, they began to implore Polly to hurry and begin. It's most eleven o'clock, said Joel, who, having no work to do outside, 
that day was prancing around, wild to help along the festivities. It's most eleven o'clock, Polly Pepper. You won't have it done. Oh no, tisn't either, Joe, said Polly, with a very flushed face and her arms full of kindlings, glancing up at the old clock as she spoke. Tisn't but quarter of nine. There, take care, Phronsie. You can't lift off the cover. Do help her, Davy. No, let me, cried Joel, springing forward. It's my turn. Dave got the shingles. It's my turn, Polly. So tis, said Polly. I forgot. There, as she flung in the wood and poked it all up in a nice little heap coaxingly. It can't help but burn. What a cake we'll have for Mumsy. It'll be so big, cried Phronsie, hopping around on one set of toes, that Mumsy won't know what to do, will she, Polly? No, I don't believe she will, said Polly gaily, stuffing in more wood. Oh dear, there goes Ben's putty. It's all come out. So it has, said Joel, going around the back of the stove to explore. And then he added carefully, It's bigger than ever. Oh, it's an awful big hole, Polly. Now whatever shall we do, said Polly, in great distress. That hateful old crack. And Ben's clear off to Deacon Blodgett's. I'll run and get him cried Joel briskly. I'll bring him right home in ten minutes. Oh no, you must not, Joe, cried Polly in alarm. It would never be right to take him off from his work. Momsy wouldn't like it. What will you do then? asked Joel, pausing on his way to the door. I'm sure I don't know said Polly, getting down on her knees to examine the crack. I shall have to stuff it with paper, I suppose. Don't stay in, said Joel, scornfully. Don't you know you stuffed it before, last week? I know, said Polly, with a small sigh. Then sitting down on the floor, she remained quite still for a minute with her two hands thrust out straight before her. Can't you fix it? asked Davy, soberly, coming up. Then we can't have the cake. Dear me, exclaimed Polly, springing out quickly. Don't be afraid. We're going to have that cake. There, you ugly old thing, you. This to the stove. See what you've done. As two big tears flew out of Phronsie's brown eyes at the direful prospect, and the sorrowful faces of the two boys looked up into Polly's own for comfort. I can fix it, I most know. 
Do get some paper, Joe. As quick as you can. Don't know where there is any, said Joel, rummaging around. It's all tore up. Except the almanac. Can't I take that? Oh dear, no, cried Polly. Put it right back, Joe. I guess there's some in the woodshed. There isn't either, said little Davy quickly. Joel and I took it to make kites with. Oh dear, groaned Polly. I don't know what we shall do, unless, as a bright thought struck her, you let me have the kites, boys. Can't, said Joel. They're all flew away and torn up. Well now, children, said Polly, turning round impressively upon them, the effect of which was heightened by the extremely crocky appearance she had gained in her explorations. We must have some paper or something to stop up that old hole with some way. There. I know, said little Davy, where we'll get it. It's upstairs. And without another word, he flew out of the room. And in another minute, he put into Polly's hand an old leather boot top, one of his most treasured possessions. You can chip it, he said. Real fine. Dental going. So we can, said Polly. And you're a real good boy, Davy, to give it. That's a splendid present to help celebrate for Momsey. I'd have given a boot top, said Joel, looking grimly at the precious bit of leather which Polly was rapidly stripping into little bits. If I'd have had it, I don't have anything. I know you would, Joey, said Polly kindly. There now, you'll stay, I guess. As with the untied efforts of the two boys, cheered on by Phronsie's enthusiastic little crow of delight, the leather was crowded into place, and the fire began to burn. Now, boys, said Polly, getting up and drawing a long breath, I'm going over to Grandma Bascom's to get her to tell me how to make the cake and you must stay and keep house. I'm going to nail, said Joel. I've got lots to do. All right, said Polly, tying on her hood. Phronsie will love to watch you. I won't be long gone. And she was off. Grandma Bascom wasn't really the children's grandmother. Only everybody in the village called her so by courtesy. Her cottage was over across the lane and just a bit around the corner and Polly flew along and up to the door fully knowing that she would be helped out of her difficulty. She didn't stop to knock as the old lady was so deaf she knew she wouldn't hear her but opened the door and walked in. Grandma was sweeping up the floor, 
already as neat as a pen. When she saw Polly coming, she stopped and leaned on her bro. How's your ma? she asked when Polly had said good morning and then hesitated. Ah, mommy's pretty well, shouted Polly into the old lady's ear. And tomorrow's her birthday. Tomorrow'll be a bad day, said Grandma. Oh, don't ever say that. You mustn't borrow trouble, child. I didn't, said Polly. I mean, it's her birthday, Grandma. This lasts so loud that Grandma's cat border vibrated perceptibly. The land's sake is, cried Mrs. Bascom delightedly. You don't say so. Yes, said Polly, skipping around the old lady and giving her a small hug. And we're going to give her a surprise. What is the matter with her eyes? asked Grandma sharply, turning around and facing her. She's been a sewing too steady, ain't she? A surprise, shouted Polly, standing upon tiptoe to bring her mouth on a level with the old lady's ear. A cake, Grandma, a big one. A cake, exclaimed Grandma, dropping the broom to settle her cap, which Polly in her extreme endeavors to carry on the conversation and knocked slightly awry. Well, that'll be fine. Yes, said Polly, picking up the broom and flinging off her hood at the same time. And oh, won't you please tell me how to make it, Grandma? To be sure, to be sure, cried the old lady, delighted beyond measure to give advice. I've got splendid receipts. I'll go get them right off and she ambled to the door of the pantry. And I'll finish sweeping up, said Polly, which Grandma didn't hear. So she took off the broom and sent it energetically and merrily flying away to the tune of her own happy thoughts. Yes, they're right in here, said Grandma, waddling back with an old tin teapot in her hand. Goodness, child, what a dust you've kicked off. That ain't the way to sweep. And she took the broom out of Polly's hand, who stood quite still in mortification. There, she said, drawing it mildly over the few bits she could scrape together and gently coaxing them into a little heap. That's the way and then they don't go all over the room. I'm sorry, began poor Polly. Then any matter, said Mrs. Bascom kindly, catching sight of Polly's discomforted face. Then it might have matter. You'll sweep better next time. Now, let's go to the cake. And putting the broom into the corner, she waddled back again to the table, followed by Polly, and proceeded to turn out the contents of the teapot in search of just the right 
receipt. But the right one didn't seem to appear, not even after the teapot was turned upside down and shaken by both Grandma's and Polly's anxious hands. Every other receipt seemed to tumble out gladly and stare them in the face. Little dingy rolls of yellow paper with ancient odor of spice still clinging to them. But all efforts to find this particular one failed utterly. Won't some other one do? asked Polly in the interval of fruitless searching. And Grandma bewailed and lamented and wondered where I could have put it. No, no, child, answered the old lady. Now, where do you suppose it is? And she clapped both hands to her head to see if she could possibly remember. No, no, child, she repeated. Why, they had it down to my niece Mirandy's wedding. It was just elegant, light as a feather, and twan rich either, she had it. No eggs, nor... Oh, I couldn't have eggs, cried Polly, in amazement at the thought of such luxury. And we've only brown flour, Grandma, you know. Well, you can make it out of brown, said Mrs. Bascom kindly, when the raisins is in to look quite nice. Oh, we haven't any raisins, answered Polly. Haven't any raisins, echoed Grandma, looking at her over her spectacles. What are you going to put in? Oh, cinnamon, said Polly, briskly. We've got plenty of that. And it'll be good, I guess, Grandma, she finished anxiously. Anyway, we must have a cake. There isn't any other way to celebrate Momsy's birthday. Well now, said Grandma, bustling around, I shouldn't be surprised if you had real good luck, Polly, and your ma'll set over so much by it. Now, if we only could find that receipt. And returning to the charge, she commenced to fumble among her bits of paper again. I never shall forget how they eat on it. Why, there wasn't a crumb left, Polly. Oh dear, said Polly, to whom Mirandy's wedding cake now became the height of her desires. If you can only find it. Can't I climb up and look on the pantry shelves? Maybe tis there, said Mrs. Bascom slowly. You might try. Sometimes I do put things away, so as to have them safe. So Polly got an old wooden chair, according to direction, and then mounted up on it, with Grandma below to direct. She handed down bowl after bowl, interspersed at the right intervals with cracked teacups and handleless pitchers. But at the end of these explorations, Mirandy's wedding cake was further off than ever. Then a mighty use, at last said the old lady, sinking down in despair, 
while Polly perched on the top of the chair and looked at her. I must have given it away. Can't I have the next best one then? asked Polly despairingly, feeling sure that Mirandy's wedding cake would have celebrated the day just right. And I must hurry right home, please, she added, getting down from the chair and tying on her hood, or Phronsie won't know what to do. So another receipt was looked over and selected, and with many charges and bits of advice not to let the oven get too hot, etc., etc., Polly took the precious bit in her hand and flew over home. Now, we've got to, she began, bounding in merrily with dancing eyes, but her delight had a sudden stop as she brought up so suddenly at the sight within that she couldn't utter another word. Phronsie was crouching, a miserable little heap of woe, in one corner of the mother's big calico-covered rocking chair and crying bitterly while Joel hung over her in the utmost concern. What's the matter? gasped Polly, flinging the receipt on the table. She rushed up to the old chair and was down on her knees before it, her arms around the little figure. Phronsie turned and threw herself into Polly's protecting arms, who gathered her up and sitting down in the depths of the chair, comforted her as only she could. What is it? she asked of Joel, who was nervously begging Phronsie not to cry. Now, tell me all that's happened. I was a nailing, began Joel. Oh dear, don't cry, Phronsie. Do stop her, Polly. Go on, said Polly, hoarsely. I was a nailing, began Joel slowly. And, and. Davy's gone to get the peppermint, he added, brightening up. Tell me, Joe, said Polly, all that's been going on. And she looked very sternly into his face. Or I'll get Davy to. As little Davy came running back with a bottle of castor oil, which in its flurry he had mistaken for peppermint. This he presented with a flourish to Polly, who was too excited to see it. Oh no, cried Joel in intense alarm. Davy isn't going to. I'll tell Polly. I will, truly. Go on then, said Polly. Tell at once feeling as if somebody didn't tell pretty quick she should tumble over. Well, said Joel, gathering himself up with a fresh effort. The old hammer was a-shaking and Phronsie stuck her foot in the way and I couldn't help it, Polly. No, I just couldn't, Polly. Quick as a flash, Polly tore off the little old shoe and well-worn stocking and brought to light Phronsie's fat little foot. Tenderly taking hold of the white toes, the boys clustering around 
in the greatest anxiety. She worked them back and forth and up and down. Nothing's broken, she said at last, and drew a long breath. It's there, said Franzi, through a rain of tears. And it hurts, Polly. And she began to wiggle the big toe, where around the nail was settling a small black spot. Poor little toe began Polly, cuddling up the suffering foot. Just then, a small and peculiar noise struck her ear, and looking up she saw Joel with a very distorted face, making violent efforts to keep from bursting out into a loud cry. All his attempts, however, failed, and he flung himself into Polly's lap in a perfect torrent of tears. I didn't mean to, Polly, she cried. "'Twas the ugly old hammer. "'Oh, dear.' "'There, there, Joey, dear,' said Polly, "'gathering him up in the other corner of the old chair, "'close to her side. "'Don't feel bad. "'I know you didn't mean to.' "'And she dropped a kiss on his stubby black hair. "'When Phronsie saw that anybody else could cry,' She stopped immediately, and leaning over Polly, put one little fat hand on Joel's neck. Don't cry, she said. Does your toe ache? At this, Joel screamed louder than ever, and Polly was at her wit's end to know what to do, for the boy's heart was almost broken. Daddy should have hurt Phronsie, the baby the pet of the whole house, upon whom all their hearts centered. It was too much. So for the next few moments, Polly had all she could do by the way of comforting and consoling him. Just as she had succeeded, the door opened and Grandma Bascom walked in. Setting down, said she, I hope your cake ain't in, Polly, looking anxiously at the stove for I found it. And she waved a small piece of paper triumphantly towards the rocking chair as she spoke. To tell her, said Polly to little David, what's happened, for I can't get up. So little Davy went up to the old lady and standing on tiptoe, screamed into her ear all the particulars he could think of concerning the accident that just happened. Hey, said Grandma, in a perfect bewilderment. What's he a-saying, Polly? I can't make it out. You'll have to go all over it again, David, said Polly, despairingly. She didn't hear one word, I don't believe. So David tried again, this time with better success. And then he got down from his tiptoes and escorted Grandma to Phronsie in flushed triumph. Land alive, said the old lady, sitting down in the chair which he brought her. You got pounded, didn't you? Looking at Phronsie as she took the little foot 
in her ample hand. Yes, um, said Polly quickly. It wasn't anyone's fault. What'll we do for it, Grandma? Wormwood, said the old lady, adjusting her spectacles in extreme deliberation and then examining the little black and blue spot which was spreading rapidly is the very best thing. Then I've got some to home. You run right over, she said, turning round on David quickly. And get it. It's a hanging by the chimney. Let me, let me, cried Joel, springing out of the old chair, so suddenly that Grandma's spectacles nearly dropped off in fright. Oh, I want to do it for Franzi. Yes, let Joel, please, put in Polly. He'll find it, Grandma. So Joel departed with great speed, and presently returned with a bunch of dry herbs which dangled comfortingly by his side as he came in. Now I'll fix it, said Mrs. Bascom, getting up and taking off her shawl. There's a few raisins for you, Polly. I don't want them, and they'll make your cake go better. And she placed a little parcel on the table as she spoke. Yes, I'll put it to Steve. And after it's put on real strong and tied up in an old cloth, Phronsie won't know that she's got any toes. And Grandma broke up a generous supply of the herb and put it into an old tin cup, which she covered up with a saucer and placed on the stove. Oh, said Polly, I can't thank you for the raisins and all. You're so good. They're awful hard, said Joel, investigating into the bundle with Davy, which, however, luckily the old lady didn't hear. There, don't cry, she said cheerily. And I found Cousin Randy's wedding cake receipt for... Did you? cried Polly. Oh, I'm so glad, feeling as if that were comfort enough for a good deal. Yes, t'was in my Bible, said Mrs. Bascom. I remember now. I put it there to be ready to give John's folks when they come in. They wanted it, so you'll go all straight now, and I must get home, for I left some meat a boiling. So Grandma put on her shawl and waddled off, leaving a great deal of comfort behind her. Now, says I, said Polly to Phronsie, when the little foot was snugly tied up in the wet wormwood, you've got to have one of Momsie's old slippers. Oh, ho, laughed Phronsie. Won't that be funny, Polly? I should think it would, laughed Polly back again, pulling on the big cloth slipper which Joel produced from the bedroom, the two boys joining uproariously as the old black thing flipped dismally up and down and showed strong symptoms of flying off. We shall have to tie it on. 
It looks like a pudding bag, said Joel, as Polly tied it securely through the middle with a bit of twine. An old black pudding bag, he finished. Old black pudding bag, echoed Phronsie with a merry little crow. And then all of a sudden, she grew very sober and looked intently at the foot thrust out straight before her as she still sat in the chair. What is it, Phronsie? asked Polly, who was bustling around, making preparations for the cake making. Can I ever wear my new shoes again? asked the child gravely, looking dismally at the black bundle before her. Oh yes, my goodness, yes, cried Polly, as quick again as ever. You'll be around again as smart as a cricket in a week. See if you are. Will it go on? asked Phronsie, still looking incredulously at the bundle and button up. Yes, indeed, cried Polly again. Button into every one of the little holes, Phronsie Pepper, just as elegant as ever. Oh, said Phronsie. And then she gave a sigh of relief and thought no more of it because Polly had said that all would be right. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.